0: Thank you for joining IRW Coffee Break. This is a podcast series hosted by KPMG IRW specialists within the Washington National Tax Practice to discuss current topics in the field of information reporting and withholding. Every episode, will discuss a discrete area of interest in a brief segment. So we invite you to grab a cup of coffee or just get comfortable while we explore all things IRW. Hi, I'm Danielle Nishida, and I'm here with Lori Hatton-Boyd. Today, we're going to be doing something different than what we usually do. Instead of focusing on withholding agent compliance at this time, we're going to be flipping the script and focusing on providing guidance to the payees and account holders on the other end of the transaction. We spend a lot of time in our industry discussing how to validate a withholding certificate from the withholding agent's perspective, but it's equally important to provide simple instructions to the payees and account holders who often struggle with deciding on which form to use or with completing a valid withholding certificate. For our listeners who are withholding agents, we welcome you to use this podcast as a refresher on the basic Form W-8 rules, but more importantly, you can refer your customers to this podcast when they're in need of a tutorial on how to complete the Forms W-8 that you're asking them to provide to you. This particular podcast will focus on the completion of forms for individual. Therefore, we'll walk through how to determine which form an individual should select, and then we'll walk through the completion of the most common form used by individuals, the Form W-8 Ben.
1: Yeah, so first I'm just going to talk about what are the possible forms that an individual would be providing. So first we've got a W-8 BEN, that stands for Beneficial Owner, it's for an individual. It's the individual certifying that they are the beneficial owner, the income is not effectively connected with a U.S. trade or business, and they're able to claim a treaty benefit if they are entitled to do so. The other forms that an individual might be providing would be a W-8 ECI. ECI stands for Effectively Connected Income. So here the individual is certifying, again, they're not US, but now they're certifying, this income is effectively connected with my US trade or business. There's one thing to note here. Normally, if the individual provides a W-8 ECI, there would not be any withholding and just reporting. That's because they're being taxed the same. As a US person, graduated rates, they get deductions. There is an exception here. If a W-8 ECI is provided for services income, the withholding agent is still required to withhold the gross basis 30% tax on that transaction. And then finally, the third form that an individual might provide is the 8233. And that's for an individual that provided services uh, in the United States, and they're entitled to a treaty benefit. And so they would have to provide that
0: form as opposed to claiming a treaty benefit on the W-8 BEN. And so if you've decided that the form W-8-BEN is the appropriate form to complete, we'll next walk through how to complete that form. And so this is a podcast, obviously, we can't show you the form, but we do recommend that if you're looking to complete a form that you pull it out and you follow along with us because we're going to go line by line through this form. I will tell you that we're not going to talk about every nuanced rule. We're going to simplify this to make this as easy as possible. So if there is special rules out there or you're within, you know, an exception that happens in rare cases, there may be other nuances that we're not discussing in this podcast, but we're going to talk about the most common way to complete this form. So starting with line one, the name line, this should be the name that you would use on a tax form. You are often going to be receiving an information return filed to this name, and that may also be issued to the IRS. If there is a refund involved and you have to file for a refund, you're going to want the Form 1042-S that gets issued to you to be submitted with that refund claim to establish that you're eligible for a refund. So you absolutely want to make sure that this is the form you would use on a tax return. The form has to have a single name only, so no husband and wife combos. If you've got a joint account, you've got to complete a different form for each account holder. If you have a business name or a disregarded entity name that you do business under, but you file your return as an individual, you can list that business name in the reference field on line seven, but it should not go on line one of the form. Line two is country of citizenship, so you're just going to enter the country in which you are a citizen, As a heads up, this should not be the United States. If you are a citizen of the United States, you should be completing a Form W-9 instead. Line three asks for your permanent residence address. They are looking for a physical address here, so there should not be a PO Box or an in-care of address. The one exception to this rule is there is a notice that allows a person to use a PO Box if that person doesn't have a numbered physical address that they can enter. So this only happens in really remote areas where you don't have a numbered address, you're just listed as being on this street, and that can't really be used for mailing purposes. In those limited cases, you can use a PO Box, but it should never be a care of address because by definition a care of address is I'm sending this to someone else because I'm not there. And then the mailing address line is to enter an alternate mailing address. If you don't want mail sent to your permanent residence address, it's not a required field. If either the physical or the mailing addresses are U.S. addresses, you should also be prepared to provide additional documentary evidence, which it would typically be a passport or a foreign identification card, and a reasonable explanation for the U.S. address. And this is going to be used just to establish that despite having these U.S. addresses, you really are a non-U.S. person. And so the IRS does require additional documentation in that case. Line 5 asks for your U.S. identification number. If you don't have one, you can leave this field blank. However, if you do have one, we recommend entering it on the form. Again, if you're ever overwithheld upon and you need to file a refund claim, it will be a lot easier and faster if the Form 1042-S is issued to you with your U.S. TIN on it. And the withholding agent is going to get that U.S. TIN from this form. So this is your way to transmit that U.S. TIN to them so that they can file a proper 1042-S so that when needed, you'll have that information for your refund claim. Similarly, line 6A is asking you for your foreign tax identification number. This is a tax ID number provided by your local jurisdiction. If you don't have a TIN issued by your local jurisdiction, which is common in countries like the Cayman Islands or BVI, you can check box 6B instead, which is stating that you do not have an F FTIN because you're not legally required to have one but you should typically be either providing an F-10 on line 6A or checking the box on line 6B indicating that you don't have one. There are limited exceptions where you're not required to do either box, um, but for simplicity's sake, we're just gonna recommend either doing the F-10 or checking the box. Line seven is a reference line. This is an optional line. This is where you can provide any additional information to the form that you believe is necessary to explain the information on the form or to tie this form to your account with the financial institution or the withholding agent. It's not a very long line, and so it may be possible that if you really do need to provide a substantial amount of details, you're going to need to do an attachment to the form. For line seven, what I recommend doing is stepping back looking at the Form W8 that you've completed and all the information above, and look at the information that the withholding agent has on file for you. So for example, if you're opening an account at a bank, what is the name that you have in that bank? Does it match the name exactly that you have on line one? Where there differences? A further explanation might be required. And so the example that we used previously, if you have a business name that you use or a disregarded entity that you do business under, that's not the tax name that's being reported to the IRS. So you can't list that name on line one. But if you opened up your bank account in that name, well, the withholding agent's not gonna know how to tie that bank account in the disregarded entity's name to the form W-8 you just submitted in the individual owner's name. And so line seven is where you're gonna be able to tie those pieces of information together. You would enter the disregarded entity's name in line seven and then indicate in parentheses that this is a disregarded entity or if it's just the DBA that you use, you can enter DBA in parentheses. Or alternately, you can identify the account numbers that you want to associate this form with. If you don't have any further information to provide, then you can leave this field blank. Line eight is entering your date of birth. As a reminder in the United States, the month gets entered first. So it's month, then the day, then the year.
1: And then if you're using the form to claim a treaty benefit, part two would need to be completed. So line nine, you're gonna write in the country in which you're a resident, must be a treaty country, of course. We recommend that you not abbreviate that country. So for example, write out United Kingdom as opposed to UK. And then Danielle had talked about either a US tax ID number or a foreign tax ID number may be required. If you're claiming treaty benefits on anything other than interest and dividends from marketable securities, you have to have one or the other to get that treaty claim. So you have to either have a US TIN or a 4 and 10 up in Part 1. Line 10 is going to be required anytime something other than mere residency is required to claim the treaty benefit. So, for example, the business profits article requires that the income is not attributable to a permanent establishment in the U.S. So, if you were claiming the business profits article, you would want to put in the type of income, you would put the article, normally it's Article 7, 0%, and then you would write in there that the income is not attributable to a P.E. in the U.S., Recall at the beginning I talked about the 8233, certain treaties now include personal services income by an individual in the business profits article. If you are claiming, again, the treaty benefit on services, even if the treaty now includes it under business profits article as opposed to an independent personal services article, you still need Form 8233 and not the W-8BEN to claim that treaty benefit. You would also complete line 10 if the treaty has two different rates for the type of income that you're receiving. Usually we'll see this in the royalty article, and so you would want to put which royalty type you're claiming and the rate that you're claiming for that. And finally, with respect to the treaty claim, just like Danielle had talked about with the U.S. address where additional documentation is going to be required, if you have a mailing address outside of the treaty country, you're going to have to provide additional documentation to support that you are, in fact, entitled to treaty benefits. And then part three is just the certifications. Do not cross out any of the certifications. If if you cross out any of those, your form is going to be invalid and the withholding agent is not going to be able to rely on it. You're going to sign the form. You're going to date the form. Again, as Danielle said, the dating convention for the U.S. is the month, the day, and then the year. You're going to print the name of the signer, the individual that's signing it, and then Unless the form is being signed by a third party who has the authority to do so, so meaning some type of power of attorney, hopefully a form 2848, in which case you would sign and print that name, and then you're going to want to make sure that you check that box that says that you have the capacity to sign. And once you check that box, you should be prepared to also provide the power of attorney that you'll have, because that's going to be needed for the withholding agent to rely
0: on a form that's signed by somebody else. And the final thing we should point out is that you have an option of also providing an affidavit. The statement will not appear on the official Form W-8 that you get from the IRS website, but it's often added by either the withholding agent as an addition to the bottom of the form, or it can be added on your own as an attachment to the form. So generally, when completing a Form W-8, the form is only valid from the date of the signature and onward though there is a 30-day grace period allowed in the regulation. So the withholding agent can elect to use that form that you signed on, let's say April 1st, as early as March 1st. But if you are wanting to use a form for any payments made prior to that date, you're going to need to attach an affidavit. The affidavit states that the information provided on the form is also valid for dates prior to the signature, and it is required to identify the dates of additional validity. So an affidavit will generally say something like, the information provided above is valid from X date to the present. The affidavit must be signed separately and dated. So when you are attaching an affidavit to the bottom of the form, you're still going to sign the form and date it and do the certification information that Laurie addressed previously, then you are also going to separately complete the affidavit below or on the attachment. When you're doing an affidavit, make sure there is a start and an ending date. The ending date can be the present, which is the date of the signature, but you absolutely need a start date. And with that, you should have the information necessary to complete most forms W-8 Ben. We hope this podcast was helpful in completing your forms. Please let us know if there's another form or topic you'd like us to address by responding to the feedback button on the podcast page. Thank you for listening in.